This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Amen. You may be seated, and thank you so much for being here and for worshiping with us this morning. It is awesome to see our kids, and uh, I'm going to try to fly through. So, um, are we ready? Do you have your pens and papers out? Hey, it's a full crowd. We're about... uh, uh, in need of a second service here if we continue this up. Hey, that's a good thing. Um, and it's awesome to be back out of summer where people are back getting into a swing and all of that. But uh, thank you so much for being here. I pray that you have enjoyed thus far our study in the book of Galatians. If you are a guest this morning and this is your first time, we have been going through the book of Galatians verse by verse. And we're, uh, we've entitled that Set Free um, with the intention that you would leave an understanding uh, in the book of Galatians that uh, what the gospel is and how the gospel is intended to, to be all about who we are. It should weave in every aspect of our lives, the gospel should be poured out. And so my prayer is that when we conclude the book of Galatians, that we would all leave having a greater understanding of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that it's more than just saying a prayer and having we would say eternal life in Him, that it is something that ought to be uh, about who we are. And the other thing is that we would have a greater understanding of the freedom that we have in Christ. So many times I feel that we say things like that. Oh, we, we come to know Christ and we have this freedom in Christ, but then we don't grasp what is freedom in Christ. What does that look like? And this morning, I, I do believe that that what I'm going to speak on today, I, I feel, is uh, one of the, the greatest uh, theological statements or words that if we truly begin to, to dive into, we can understand how God has intended for us to, to walk in that freedom and to have that freedom. And I think it, it permeates every area of our lives. And, and I think it, it happens in this manner. Everybody that sits here today... Whether you are a teenager, if you are a, uh, maybe a newlywed couple, maybe in the first three to five years of marriage, or maybe you have children, maybe you are, uh, your kids are out of the house and you're uh, empty nesters and your grandparents or your great-grandparents, or if you have no children and you're single adults, regardless of where you are, I believe one of the greatest struggles that every person in this room has and everyone in life has is this thing called identity. Who in the world am I? I know I struggle with that. We look at things as, say, a, as a husband, we look at it and we go, well, I've got I've to make enough money to have the nicest of houses to, to be able to provide all of the things that my family needs, to have the house and the car and the stuff. Maybe you're a, a, a single teenager in the room today or a single individual today, a young adult, and one of the greatest struggles that we all face and that you especially face is you want, you want somebody to say, oh, you are the best. You're good looking. I love you. I'm going to provide happiness and I'm going to gain my happiness in a, in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a relationship. Or maybe it's an online uh, profile that we have to have this look. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to who we think we are and where do we find our identity. And as we dive into what we looked at last week and we'll continue into this week, we dive into this word of justification. 
One of the things that I feel that we do is we strive to find fulfillment in horizontal things as opposed to vertical things in Christ. My fulfillment becomes the job that I have, the amount of money that I have, the, is my girlfriend or boyfriend the best looking, do I do this, do I have that, and all of the things that are horizontal, because that's what the world says is important, but the only thing that truly matters is the vertical, who God says that I am, but so often we forget that. And as we looked at it last week, we'll look at it again, if we can grasp what that is, what God has done and what God has provided for us, I believe with everything in me, it will change our lives. Because value is found in Him. Victory and worth is found in Him and nothing else. It is the basis of our belief. It is this doctrine of, of understanding what that is. It's important I said it again. I said it last week. I say it as often as I can. It is so vitally important that we study and strive to seek God in what He has given to us. It's not acceptable to just say, oh, justification, somebody told me about that. No, it's freeing when we understand what it is. And we begin to grasp a hold of what that is. And so if you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you a very brief rundown of the, the definition. And that's really what we looked at last week. What is the definition of justification? The question out of the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, was this. How can man be right before God? How can man be right before God? Maybe the question would be this. Why would I even desire to be right before God? Why would I even desire to have this justification? The reality is this. There's very few people that you will come in contact with that have no desire to be right with God. There's a handful of people that would say, I could care less. I don't believe there is a God. There's few people that actually believe that. But what we have done is we've created, man has created religion. And religion thus tells us what I have to do to be right with God. They give you a process. In the Judaism, in Judaism, in the Jewish faith, it is adhering to and abiding by the Mosaic law. If you do these things, then you are okay. In the, in, in the Muslim faith, it is if you would adhold or uphold and obey the five pillars of Allah. If we would do these things, and we could go down the list from Buddhism to Shintoism to all the other isms around the world, they are man-made things that we have to do to get to this place that I would be okay with God. The people in the deepest, darkest jungles that have never heard the word of God before have gods because God created us with the desire to worship him. And so this morning as we dive into this and we begin to understand these things, why is this so important? A simple definition I gave last week just of justification is this, just as though it never happened. Just as though it never happened. Our sin being wiped away from past, present, and future as if it never happened. The definition that I gave that was a little bit more in depth where we studied through it a little bit is the act of God whereby he, God, declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. 
Habakkuk, we looked at this last week briefly, the just shall live by faith. The justified, those that are declared righteous, shall live and walk by faith. Romans 1 says it speaks to being justified by the grace of God in faith. Galatians chapter 3 speaks that we don't live by the law. And in Hebrews chapter 10 it speaks that we should live by faith and not waver or go back on our faith. Justification by faith is important to the gospel and it helps us to understand our identity in Christ. It helps us to see and understand where we stand before God as well as where we stand today. I gave two definitions last week of positional truth and experiential truth. Positional truth that declares our eternal standing in Christ Experiential truth defines our current state in the flesh. Our standing relates to our spiritual position that is both perfect and permanent. Justification, when I have come to know Jesus Christ and justification wipes away my sin as far as the east is from the west. It takes away the past, the present, and the future. My standing before God is permanent and it is perfect. Now my state... The experiential or the practical, the ways in which we live every day, our state relates to our current experience. That is imperfect and temporary. If you recall last week, one of the last things that I I talked about was justification and sanctification. And I want to look at those, and again, I'll, I'll explain all of that out here in just a few moments, but justification declares us righteous and holy. Sanctification makes us righteous and holy. It is what is or it, it is what's working in me to live out my life. Justification changes my standing before God. Sanctification changes our state. Justification is an event. Sanctification is a process that we are living in every single day of our lives. Justification is what God has done. It is finished. Sanctification is what God is doing in and through us until God would take us home. These two go hand in hand, but here is what we're going to talk about today. And here is what they did as the Judaizers and back in that day. And here's what we do today. We blend the two so much that we get confused. Because we blend it in the manner that I have to accept justification, but I've got to do all of these things to remain in right standing before God. Those are two separate things. The act of justification is one specific act. Sanctification is the process that we are all in in the course of this life, and God is perfecting us. God will make us more like himself. My problem, Pastor Aaron's problem, is I feel sometimes that I have to do all of these things for God to love me more. If I just do this, God will be this for me. That's not at all what Scripture says, but that is what we often do. Justification delivers us from the penalty of sin. That penalty is death, eternal separation from God. Sanctification delivers us from the power of sin, See, we still live in this old flesh, but we have the Holy Spirit's power to guide us and direct us and provide the the strength that we need to say no, that grace of God. And this morning we're going to continue in, in verses 15 through 21, in Galatians chapter number 2. And if you recall, I'm going to do this briefly, (laughs) if you recall, 
prior to this, Paul had just come and Paul had confronted Peter in verses 11 through 14. Remember, Peter had come into Antioch after the Jerusalem council and Peter had came in and Peter's job, Peter was called by God to bring together, to unite together two groups of people, one that didn't like each other, the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't care for one another, but they came together and when Peter went in, Peter was fellowshipping with both. He would fellowship with the Jews and the Gentiles as they would come together as the body of Christ. And then all of a sudden, uh, it says in, in, in that passage of Scripture that, that there was some people that came from Jerusalem. They were representing James, and they began to say, hey, these are all these things that are going on, and these people back in Jerusalem don't really like you, Peter. And what did Peter do? What did he do? I'm glad you remember. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Peter got a little afraid, it says. And out of fear, Peter stopped hanging out with the Gentiles. He began to back away from the Gentiles, and he began to only pretty much hang out with the Jews. Well, what happens naturally? That begins a separation. What's going on? Now the Gentiles are going, what's going on? Number 13, it makes reference that not only did Peter do that, now the Jews were doing that as well. They all began to to separate from the Gentiles. Well, nowhere... Nowhere at all was that supposed to happen. Peter was acting a certain manner out of convenience. He was fearful. He knew the wall that had come down between the Jew and the Gentile, but yet he didn't act that way. Peter himself said it in Acts chapter 10, God is no respecter of persons, but yet now he had partiality. His actions showed division. His actions showed the Gentiles that they weren't as good as the Jews. And now we come into this passage in verse number 15 where Peter, not just, he doesn't just say, hey, this is what was going on. He says, this is why we can be united because of justification, because of the blood of the cross, because of this. And he says, it's only by the grace of God. And as we place our faith and trust in him, not plus anything else. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15 And I will dive into these next six points really, really quickly. I only got three. Just kidding. Verse number 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh Be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is there is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Father God, I just ask in these next few moments that your word would be what would be seen, understood, and heard, and that we would be challenged by it. 
Would you show us, reveal to us your truths? For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. My very first thought and my very first point this morning is this. We must not forget. Verse 15 says what? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. That word we is looking at Paul again as confronting Peter. He, he is talking to Peter. And so he's saying we, you and I. Peter, you and me and all the other Jews. He says we... And he makes this statement, who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He's speaking to them, and in his confrontation, he basically says, how is it that we who are Jews and not sinners have believed? We have placed faith in Christ, and we aren't even sinners according to ourselves. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to Peter and himself. According to their laws, according to their standards, according to those things, those that had adhered to the law were not the sinners. The Gentiles were the sinners. Why? Because the law, they didn't have the law. They didn't have the moral code. They didn't have all of those things. And Paul's looking at him. He says, hey, by all of these things, we are okay. If we are okay, why is it it wasn't long ago that we came under and said we believed in faith that Jesus Christ died, rose again, and that we needed to have him come into our heart? Why would we have done this if we are the ones that aren't even sinners? He's, he's confronting him. He's asking him these questions because they understood. Peter knew exactly. The other Jews knew exactly what he was saying. Hey, why would we have done this? They don't have the law. They don't have that moral direction. We are the ones, yet even we realize that we needed faith in Christ. He looks at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, do you remember... Not long ago, we just stood in front of this big council. It was called the Jerusalem Council. Do you not remember all that was said there? It was faith in Christ and Christ alone. There was nothing else that needed to be, that needed to be done. In Acts chapter 15 and verses 10 and 11. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. This is Peter speaking in Acts. Why would we do this? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as it says what? They. Even as they, the Gentiles, need to receive Jesus Christ no differently than we do. So Paul is just kind of looking at him and saying, hey, don't you for, did you re forget? <laughs> hey, we can't forget what God did here. And I would say this to you and I, because I believe that we all do this. We forget sometimes that the God that was good enough to save us and the God only. At that moment of salvation, so often we would, we would bow a knee, maybe we bowed a head, maybe we were sitting at a workplace, whatever it was, and we would say, God, would you come into my heart and save me? I understand that there's nothing I can do to earn salvation, to do any of this. God, save me. At that moment, God set us apart. God justified us as we've been talking about. He wiped that slate clean. But here's what we have done in, in so much of our lives. It's like we forgot that I couldn't do anything to earn that salvation. 
And now all of a sudden I feel like I, I have to do right and do good to be in, that God would love me and like me. Just like Peter was doing. He got around these people and he began to act differently. To add anything to faith is to deny the doctrine of justification. If we add, then his work and sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough. If that is the case, then I can now do something to earn my own justification. But we cannot do anything to earn and make right what we've made wrong. But I believe so often, just like Peter or Paul was saying to Peter, hey, did you forget that we who were the ones that were not sin according to our own standards yet reached out and said, God, I need you. And so often we tend to forget sometimes. I have said it multiple times and I continue to say it. I can't stress enough the value of striving to know God and to understand these truths. The more that I understand, the more that we understand, the more freeing that it is. It is important to serve and to do in our Christian walk, but doing isn't who we are. Who we are is righteous in God's eyes. Who we are is a child of God. We are the heirs of God. And as God changes us on the inside, we naturally desire to do those things, but it's not the act of doing them that makes us better. That is a part of justification, but it's not what makes us better. All of those actions are simply a process of God working in us to make us who he would have us to be. The next thought is this, trusting versus trying. Trusting versus trying. Paul continues. We look in verse 16, it says it over and over again. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, but for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He states it again and again. There's nothing that we can do. We can't act good enough. We are not good enough. We must Remember that in trusting, not in trying, in trusting, not in doing, we are not who we were prior to salvation. Man's, think about this real quick, man's greatest problem is in what he is, not in what he does. Our greatest problem is in what he, or what we are, not in what we do sinful acts are the outward expression of a depraved nature a man who hates is a murderer regardless if he ever commits a murder according to scripture a man who thinks immoral thoughts is an adulterer whether or not he commits an act no work that we do is able to justify us no works can save us our problem is in what we are not in what we do and in justification God settles who we are before him in justification I'm no longer held 
I'm not looked at. I'm not an enemy of God any longer. He doesn't look at me and say, oh, Aaron, look at all of those sins. He looks at me and sees the righteousness of God. He looks at me because I've been declared righteous. He's, he's doing that. But again, it's not in anything that I do. It's in my, the trust that I've put in him, the faith and trust in him. Not only does he wipe that slate clean, and this is, I think, what I, I feel is extremely vital for today, is that in justification, it's as if we've never sinned. But he doesn't stop there. It's not as if we've never sinned, and it was like, all right, cool. You're all right, because if it was that, then I could never continue, I could never move forward to do right. Because in and of myself, I can't do right. So what did God do? God imputed righteousness. God deposited righteousness into us. And he gave us the Holy Spirit that I can do right. So he didn't just say, oh, there you go. All things are forgiven. Do you know what I think sometimes that we do? We would, we would stop and we would share the gospel to somebody and we'd say, wouldn't you want your sins to be forgiven? God can take and wipe away your past. God can take and do all those things. And, we, and here's what we do. We don't give the completion of it. We say that God can wipe those things away. And what do we hear? We hear that God wiped away the things in the past. So now what do I have to do? I have to act to continue to keep that. And that's what's in my mind. But when we complete the picture and we say, listen, God doesn't just want to take away and wipe away the past. God, it's the past, it's the present, it's the future, which is powerful in and of itself, but God's now imputed, God has deposited a wealth that we could never, ever earn. God's righteousness was deposited in my life, and the Holy Spirit was put inside of me so that I can do right, so that I can walk in Him, so that I can act in the manner that God would have us to do. In and of myself, I have no desire to do that. But God imputed that. I don't know how many of you, I, I don't know the best way to describe this, but this is what came to my mind, and it may be really bad. When I turned, when we turn 18 years old, nowadays, are well, it's really for all times, I guess, but 18 years old, because oh, 18, I'm an adult. I'm 18, I'll do what I want. Good on you, except you still live in mom's home, right? She still pays your bills. But I'm 18, I'll do what I want. Awesome. Give me your phone. Give me your car. Right? What if we became an adult? And as we turned 18, we left our house in a perfect world. We leave our home. And our bank account is endless. Would that not change a whole lot? That would change a lot. I got married at 22. If I got married and I didn't have to worry because my bank account was endless, 
that would change a whole lot of how I acted and where I did and what I do and all of those things. Listen, spiritually speaking, when you got saved, when you became an adult, we'll say, I don't know, that's really bad, but when you got saved and you accepted Christ, your bank account became endless. The righteousness of God was given to you, was imputed, was deposited into your spiritual bank account. That can be freeing. And not only that, the Holy Spirit comes within us to give us the power to continue to walk, to continue to do. Those are things that are are liberating, that the righteousness of God is deposited into me. Who am I matters. Because at that moment of justification, and I recognize I don't have to try to be this. I just have to trust and by faith live. That changes so much. You would say, but how do I do those things? What do I have to do? I would state it again and again. Some of it is a matter of just personally, I'm going to study, I'm going to strive, but I'm going to, God I don't fully grasp, but I want to continue to walk, and I'm going to place that faith in you, and I'm going to ask you every day, all day, nonstop, God, I don't understand. God, I need to grow. God, I need to walk. God, I I get this. I, I don't understand, but it's by the grace of God when I grasp a hold and I place that faith in him and I understand that the grace of God which I don't deserve has been given to me he's given me the power he's given me the strength to say no he's given me the ability to read his word he's given me the ability to walk in him and he's given me all of those things man that's freeing It no longer has to be about what kind of house I have, what kind of car that I have, if my job is providing enough money, if this is happening, if this is happening, if that is happening. Because now I've been justified, I've been set free, I've been, I've been declared righteous before God. He's given me the righteousness. He's, he's, His Holy Spirit is living inside of me for me to go and do. And as I'm striving to seek Him, He is the one that enables me to have worth. And it's not that I no longer care, because here's the reality. I'm still a human being, and I still have this flesh, and I have to fight that every day. But that's as we live, and we say, God, it's by your grace. God, I'm going to trust. God, I'm going to walk in understanding that there's nothing I can do. The Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's blessed us. That is a past. He did it and he said he gave us a spiritual blessing from a heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1, in whom also, in verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of what? His own will. He, we have obtained an inheritance according to his will. This was something that was already done that he has given to us. 
1 Peter says, I'm chosen by God. In 2 Corinthians, I've been reconciled unto himself. In 1 John, it says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. In 2 Corinthians, I am a new creation. In Romans 8, I am a spirit of adoption. I am an heir of God in Galatians. I've been justified. I am righteous. I'm being sanctified. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. I am his gift. I'm his bride. I am his inheritance. I am his possession. I am sealed. I am the object of his affection, his grace, and his power and faithfulness. This isn't what I'm telling you this morning. I'm not telling you you are all of those things. God's word is saying when we have been justified, when we have been declared righteous, you are those things. And not that you have to try to earn being that. It says those spiritual blessings passed. I blessed you with all spiritual. He's already done it. We just have to tap into it. But we strive to do it on our own. The last thought, and I want to give this illustration in the next couple minutes, is this. I don't have to work to please him. I don't know that this is the greatest last statement. But as I was thinking of this and looking through all of these things, I don't have to do anything. James chapter 2 and verse 17 says, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So many people want to throw that out. Well, if you're not doing these things, then you can't be saved. You have to do these works. You have to earn this. You have to. That's not at all what that is saying. I want to read something here real quick. Paul doesn't say faith is without characteristic works. Rather, he says faith justifies without the works of the law. Thus, justification doesn't require works of the law, but requires a living faith which does perform works. It is a living faith. Faith. I just stated it just a moment ago. As I place faith in him, I am every day living that faith out. I have to every day live in that. God, I can't. But I know by the grace of God, you have given me your Holy Spirit. You have given me everything that I need to, by faith, continue to walk. There's days that you wake up and you literally in the back of your mind, or maybe it's in the forefront of your mind, I don't know how I'm going to walk forward today. By faith, God gives us the grace, the power, the strength to move forward. Do I deserve it? Not at all. But I don't have to work to please him. Martin Luther says it this way, We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Listen, I'll promise you this today. If you have genuinely given your heart to God, your desires will change you can't sit back in a chair and say, oh, that was a fun service. You will be, you can't go home and not love your neighbors. You can't be at church and not desire to serve. You can't do these things. If you have been saved genuinely by faith, and you've given your heart and you're growing in God, your desire is to act upon it. That's the desires that God has given us. I can't, if God has changed me so radically, literally raised me up from the dead, if God did that to me, how do I sit and go, oh, uh, that was cool. Man, I'm going to tell everybody. 
I was just raised from the dead. I can't sit still. I can't be silent. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm going to do a, a very quick illustration, and we'll see how this works. Who will fall and die? I don't know. If anybody falls, it's going to be me. None of you are coming up here, so... It's on camera. You can all have a good laugh for a long time. But I want to I lay this out. Mike sent this to me in something that he was studying. And I, I just, I feel that it makes so much sense to what we try to do in our spiritual lives of living and doing as opposed to just trusting and following by faith. God gave the law originally as a railroad track to guide Israel's obedience. So I'm going to use this as a railroad track. I know it's really bad. I, I was going to use a long extension ladder. We didn't have one here. But if this is a railroad track, God gave the law as a railroad track to guide Israel's obedience. The engine that was supposed to pull a person along the track was God's grace. So the engine that was to rest on the track was to pull the engine was God's grace which again we do not deserve at all the track is to uh, be a guide the engine that was supposed to pull a person along the track was God's grace the power of his spirit and the coupling between our car and the engine so if I had an engine and cars behind it, in between, there's going to be a, a coupling. There's going to be something that latches them together. The coupling between our car and the engine was faith. So that in the Old Testament, like in the New, salvation was by grace through faith along the track of obedience, which would be sanctification. Do we follow? There's an engine that is the grace and the mercy of God. There is the coupling that is our faith. And as we are attached, we are pulled along this railroad track of life, if you will. And as we read through this scripture, it says in 17 and 18, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we seek, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid, for in 18, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And as we look at this Maybe a silly illustration, but if I'm on the path and I'm riding along this track and I am hooked up by the faith of God and that the grace of God is guiding me and is leading me, here's what we have often done. We have stepped off of the track and we have began to take all of the pieces along the track. If you go to a train track, you've got the rails You've got, the, you've got the railroad tie, and you've got spikes, and you've got all of the pieces. And we have begun to build it and to make ourselves a ladder. And here's the problem. And my goal was to have a ladder so I could climb it up all the way, but it didn't have one long enough. 
We have taken all of those pieces, we have taken everything, and we have built it and said, okay, I'm gonna, I am going to just climb this ladder. And I'm going to climb, and I'm going to do what I need to do to get to God. And I'm going to climb, but here's the problem in all of these things, is when these rungs begin to fall out of life, I can only climb so far. When the ladder is laid down... When the ladder is laid down and the rungs begin to come out, I still have the track. I still got the grace of God. I'm still attached by the faith of God. And though this has fallen out and though somebody passed and though my my job left and though something happened in my family and things, I can still hold on to the grace of God. When it's laid up like this and this has fallen off and this has fallen off and this has fallen off, I can't go any further. My, My power, by my power, I can only do so much. The goal is not that we would take what God has laid down, rest it up, and begin to say, God, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to climb, and I'm going to make sure that I work, and I'm going to do all of the things. God says, no, no, listen, I've already laid out, I've laid out the track, I've given you the grace of God, now hold on, because I'm going to take you. And I'm going to move. And when things begin to fall apart, and when the, when the rail in the middle falls apart, listen, you can still ride on the track. They'll come back and fix it. When it's vertical, and I'm doing all the work, when these fall out, I can't go anywhere. This will fall this way. I'm going to have to skip. All right, I'm going to have to skip. Now, granted... On a ladder like this, I could skip some. But when these are gone, and the screws are taken out, and the pieces are gone, I can't do it by myself. Listen, this morning, I don't know if this makes sense. I hope I explained it in a manner. But as I read, as Mike sent me that, and I read that, it was like, it just, this is what I do. I take the railroad I lift it up, I put it up there, and I'm like, well, I'll just build it myself, and I'll get there. We can't. I can't. I can't do it by myself. I might be able to for a couple weeks, for a month, for a year. I might be able to for three years and five years. But eventually, the railroad track of life will fall. Now what do I do? Because now I'm back at the bottom and I'm going, God, where are you? God, why would you? God, how could you? And God's all along saying, listen, I've, I've given you the grace and the mercy and I've given you the Holy Spirit, but you let go. You let go of the faith. You stopped relying on me. You stopped trusting in me. You began to now work your way to earn yourself that God would love you differently. Listen, God doesn't love you more because you serve more than the person beside you. God loves you unconditionally. My standing before God hasn't changed just because I did wrong yesterday. If I know Christ is Savior, my standing is perfect and permanent. I may need to say, God, forgive. God, I, I, I am confessing before you. These are the things that I did, and I am hurt, and I, I hate that I hurt you. But God, I'm back up. Let's go. 
But it's only by the grace of God. See, my standing hasn't ever changed. Even when I'm doing this, look at what I'm doing. <laughs> look at how high I am. Do you see? Oh, that's bright. You see all of the things. That was not really, I was not trying to be funny. Do you see all of the things that I have done? That's what we do. We sit in church. We sit next to our neighbors. Man, look at this. Look at all these things I've done. Look at all these things I've done. You know, my, my standing before God has never changed. It's never changed. But I'll promise you this. He'll allow some of these wrongs to fall. And, and here I am going, wow. God, where are you? Why would you do this to me? God never did anything. God has never changed. Listen, in your life, God has never changed. I have, I have gone far left and far right multiple times in my life, but God has never changed. You know what I did? I began to climb on my own and say, God, I can handle this. I've got it. This morning, I do not know where you stand. I do not know what your position is. I don't know if you know Christ as your Savior. You do not know Christ as your Savior, but let me just plead with you. If you sit here this morning and you would look up and say, Pastor, I do not know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I cannot plead with you and beg with you enough that you would say, God, I desire that you would remove my sin, that I would be in right standing with you. Because I've never done that. I don't fully understand all of it, but I, I believe that you are tugging at my heart and everything about me is all about who I am because of what I am at work and the money that I have or the money that I don't have or, or, or where, I, where this person thinks of me or that person thinks of me. Listen, I'll tell you this right now. When you stand before an almighty God, he's not going to look at all the people that are around you and say, hey, what did you think of this guy? He's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. Or he's going to say, Welcome. Have you come to the place in your life where you've said, I need a Savior. I recognize that my sin has separated me from God, and the only way that I can be reconciled back is for me to place faith and trust in Him because He gave His Son to die upon a cross to be that reconciliation for us. This morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? For those of you that sit in here, which would be most of you, you would say, Pastor, well, I know. I know Christ. Man, praise the Lord. But let me ask you. Are you standing up on the ladder? So proud of all the work that you've done? Because look at me. I mean, look at all those things that I've done. Look, I mean, I, I've sung, I've done, everybody thinks I'm great. And here I am, 
very well assured of how great that I am. But the problem is it's all about what I have done to get myself to a place. As opposed to resting on that track with my faith in him. Saying, God lead me. Guide me. I'm holding on. Sometimes I hold on a lot harder than others. Because I know... It's been hard, and the only way that I'm surviving is because I'm holding. There's other times things are going well, and I just kind of, I'm there. Listen this morning. It's not about you trying. It's about you trusting in faith in Him and allowing Him to guide you along that track. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.church?